Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton, and we're going to geek out a little bit today. That's what I like to call it when we go a bit more into the science because something has come up for me recently uh, as I am working through my home renovation and I took a look at everything that was in my kitchen, my cookware, all of that kind of stuff, and I decided to make some changes. Today I want to talk about why I made those changes, what changes I made, and things for you to consider not because I want to be an alarmist, not because I'm here to suggest that everybody needs to re-outfit their kitchen. That is certainly not the case, but I do think this is an important thing to think about and potentially an area of improvement, especially for people who are struggling with their weight or struggling with an endocrine issue or an immune issue or really any kind of health challenge or for folks with young kids or really kids of any age. So lots to think about today, lots to talk about today. Before we dive into it, today's episode is brought to you by Fabletics talking about, you know, all the things we can do to make a difference and make an impact. Some of them are very low cost. And a barrier that I see for a lot of people is they focus on the things that they can't do, the things that they can't afford or they don't have time for or they can't prioritize right now instead of focusing on all the things that we can do. And one of the things that we can do is move more. And it can look different for every single one of us. It absolutely will look different for every single one of us. But whether we're talking about going for a walk, going for a swim, joining a gym, or anything in between, moving more is amazing for your energy, for your mood, for your overall health, for fat loss, and so much more. And one of the things that helps me get myself to the gym is liking what I'm wearing there, right? As silly as that sounds, something like a new pair of leggings or a new sports bra can be a really amazing motivator. And I used to spend way too much money on these things, and I am a very frugal human being, which is one of the reasons I love Fabletics. So if you want to increase your motivation to work out or you just want to feel more comfortable, whether you're walking around your neighborhood or you're going to the gym, definitely check out Fabletics. When you go through primal or fabletics.com forward slash primal potential, you get to take advantage of their new customer offer, which is two pairs of leggings for 24 bucks. And if you've ever looked at Nike's prices or Lululemon's prices or Reebok's prices, you know what an insane deal that is. I really love their sports bras and their leggings. I have almost every style of legging that they make and almost all of their high impact sports bras. I was sharing in one of the previous episodes that one of the things I like most about 
Fabletics is that they rate their sports bras based on low impact, medium impact, and high impact. So you know right out of the gate, is this something that's going to be good for jogging? Not if it's low impact, probably not. Same sort of thing with CrossFit or box jumps or jumping rope or anything like that. They really let you know so you don't have to guess. I love that. Check them out, fabletics.com forward slash primal potential. And uh, like I always say, if you are someone who doesn't wear workout clothes or maybe you're a guy, get it for somebody in your life because it's just a great, great deal and a really high quality product. All right, let's talk about what brought me to today's episode. A couple of things. One, I'm renovating my my downstairs, which means having to clear out my kitchen and my bathroom's already been torn out. My laundry room's already been torn out. And as I was going through my kitchen and boxing things up, it's always a great opportunity to be like, okay, I haven't used this since we moved in, so maybe we don't need to keep it. And I also noticed how, I think this happens in our closets as well as our kitchens and our bathrooms. You know, over time, things just start to accumulate and you end up having more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. When I was in the tiny house, just, gosh, six months ago, but it sounds, it feels like six years ago, I only had a few cabinets. So I really, really had to pare things down. And then I move into this much larger home and my boyfriend moves in. So we have more stuff and he brought his stuff. And then over the last few months when people come by and maybe they bring some like disposable party wear that gets left behind, we just have more stuff now than we did even six months ago. And some of it is not something I would buy. If I had to spend my money on it, I wouldn't have, but maybe, you know, my boyfriend did a few years ago, or maybe he, you know, borrowed it from his parents or something like that. The other thing that brought me to today's episode, in addition to going through my own kitchen stuff, is the fact that I'm pregnant. And most of you have heard that. We've been talking about it uh, the past couple weeks on the podcast. And so going through the kitchen and how we store our food and how we cook our food suddenly feels a lot more significant since my baby will be eating out of these things. I dove back into research that I had done on chemicals and on obesogens and on cookware and all of that stuff because it's really important for me, not just because I'm health conscious. It's so much more than that. Not just because I'm pregnant. It's so much more than that. Anybody who is struggling with their weight, who is struggling with any kind of hormonal situation, for me, that's Hashimoto's. Maybe for you, it's a different thyroid issue or it's a, or it's an, and maybe PCOS or uh, maybe it's an autoimmune condition. What we put our food in, store our food in, cook our food in has an impact. And I know full well that it is not financially feasible for everybody to go out and buy new cookware. I'm not trying to say that at all. I am not suggesting even if it is financially feasible that that is a priority for you right now. But I also know that I'm not going to avoid this conversation just because it's not an option for everybody or a priority for everybody right now. Because what I see every day is people who are struggling, feeling like they're doing everything right, putting tons of time and energy and money into their health and not getting the results that they need. And one factor 
could be the chemicals they're introducing into their body unknowingly from what they're cooking in, what they're eating off of, or how they are storing their food. So that's why we're having this conversation. Not because I'm a purist, I am not. Not because I am an alarmist, I am not that either. Realistically, there are a lot of places you can start to make an impact on your health. And you don't have to spend extra money for a lot of them. Whether that is moving more, whether that is meditating, whether it's getting more sleep, or it's dialing back on processed foods, or a little bit of all of those things, they are places to start that don't cost any money. I don't want anybody to hear this and think, this is why I can't be healthy. Like, yeah, sure, if I had an extra few hundred dollars, maybe that would be an option for me. Because no matter where you are in your life and what your circumstances are, there is so much you can do, much of which has no additional cost and some of which does. But I still want to have the conversation because I think it's a very important one. The more people know about this and know their options, the more we can gradually make improvements in the right direction. I did an episode, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes way back when. I believe it was episode 145, but I will link to it in the show notes, which you can find at primalpotential.com forward slash 633. That episode was on what is known as obesogens. Exogenous chemicals, meaning they come from the outside. We consume them, we ingest them, we put them on our skin, So they're not coming from inside us. They're being introduced from the outside. That's what exogenous means. So obesogens are exogenous chemicals that trigger fat storage or impair fat burning. That is really true. And I am not saying that someone who is overweight is overweight just because of these chemicals. Surely there is a lifestyle factor. Surely there is a nutrition factor. Surely there is a mindset factor. But we need to know that there are these chemicals that trigger us to store fat and impair our ability to burn fat. And oftentimes, we don't know where they are or what they are or the extent to which we are exposing ourselves to them or consuming them. And obesogens are part of a larger class of toxins known as endocrine disruptors. Endocrine disruptors are also exogenous chemicals, so they come from the outside and they interfere with, they interfere with any aspect of hormonal action. So they could be interfering with insulin and therefore making it harder for your body to regulate blood sugar and making you stay in fat storing mode for longer, making it harder for you to get into fat burning mode. Or they could interfere with uh, your, your sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. They have a role in infertility. They have a role in mood disorders. Exogenous chemicals in this class called endocrine endocrine disruptors, they could impair your thyroid health, which is one of the reasons I really wanted to look at this and go through my kitchen carefully and figure out what stays, what goes, and what do I need to replace because I have Hashimoto's. And I spend my money on seeing an endocrine specialist, and I spend my money on all sorts of books and resources to learn more. So seems pretty logical to me 
that I take a little bit of that money and I make sure that I am not knowingly introducing these endocrine disruptors that impair my thyroid function in my kitchen every day, whenever I cook, whenever I prepare food, whenever I store food. When we consume these chemicals, whether we're just talking generally about endocrine disruptors or more specifically about obesogens, what happens is they they mimic or they block naturally occurring hormone action in our body. And that prevents our body, that prevents our hormones from doing what they need to do, from acting correctly. And of course, this can have a huge and very varied impact. And the way it impacts me is going to be very different from the way it impacts my sister or from the way it impacts you. But some of the impacts are increasing the number of fat cells in your body or increasing the amount of fat stored in those fat cells, influencing cells to be reprogrammed to become fat cells. It can include altering metabolic rate because remember that our thyroid has a huge influence over our general metabolic rate. And when we consume these exogenous chemicals in the family of endocrine disruptors, it can significantly impact our metabolism because of the way that they impact cortisol and they impact insulin. They can increase our appetite. They can decrease our satiety or our feelings of fullness. And they can lead to insulin resistance. Not only that, so when we talk about this class of chemicals, endocrine disruptors that alter the way hormones act in our body, they not only can influence the hormones we commonly talk about like insulin, but they also impact the overall function of how our body's hormonal signals go. So for example, the pancreas. Yes, it absolutely creates and releases insulin, but those beta cells that pump out insulin, they also regulate glucose levels. So they're really helping to manage and monitor and maintain healthy blood sugar levels. And endocrine disruptors, because of the way they impact insulin, they also impair the pancreas's ability to regulate blood glucose levels. Here's the other piece of it. And I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that this is just about body weight because, again, all of our hormones not just those related to body weight, but this impacts thyroid, adrenal function, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, you name it. But as it relates to body fat, when we consume toxins, toxins are lipophilic. They really like fat, and that is where they are stored. That is where they accumulate. Whenever we consume toxins, knowingly or unknowingly, doesn't really matter, they are likely to be stored in the fat tissue. They accumulate and build up in the fat tissue, which impairs our body's our body fat's ability to send signals. So fat is not this inert blob, right, at all. It is constantly, it is an endocrine organ, really. Your fat is metabolically active. And the way that we are designed 
is for our fat stores to let the body know when they're increasing because it's it's goal is to downregulate appetite in those situations and upregulate metabolism. So essentially, if body fat storage goes up, the way we are designed is for the body to send messages that say, hey, we've got a good amount of fat here. Fat stores are increasing. So let's downshift appetite. Let's downshift cravings. Let's increase the burn rate. But The accumulation of toxins in the body fat, which is where those toxins go, it blocks that signaling ability. The flip side of that is also true. When This is why it's not just related to uh, an excess weight problem, but can be an issue for anybody. When body fat stores get low, it also signals to the body, hey, fat storage is low, so we're going to upregulate hunger. We're going to upregulate cravings. We're going to downshift metabolism because we need a little bit more in the tank. But those signals are blocked when there's toxic accumulation in the fat. So you stop being able, your body becomes less able to naturally regulate body fat as it is meant to. That's a big deal. That is a really big deal. And even if you are able to get those signals through or you're trying to manage it on your own by eating better and moving more, fat burning, the process of releasing fat from stored fat cells, sending it out in the bloodstream to be burned, that process of actually burning fat is impaired when the fat is bogged down by toxins. Those are just a few of the reasons that I think this conversation really, really matters. But again, to, to at the risk of being redundant, we're not just talking about a weight issue with these chemicals. We're also talking about any hormonal issue, any inflammatory issue, any degenerative issue. And as I was going back to my research and going back through, what struck me in a new and different way is that consumption of these endocrine disruptors because of how we store our food or we cook our food or, you know, drinking water that isn't filtered or any number of different ways we can expose ourselves increases risk of miscarriage and leads to premature birth, low birth weight. So very multifactorial here and a lot of reasons to increase our awareness and start having more of these conversations. Most of us have heard of Teflon, right? I remember being a kid and my mom being super excited to get Teflon pans because they were easier to clean and you didn't make a big mess and it made dinner time that much easier. Teflon was like a big deal. But we didn't know about Teflon what we know now. It was about 10 years ago that the company that makes Teflon was forced to stop making the key chemical that made Teflon Teflon, that made Teflon nonstick, because it was discovered that for about 45 years, because this was in production long before uh, it was used in cookware, for about 45 years, this company had been covering up evidence of the health risks of this chemical that was the, the heart of the Teflon material. They had evidence that it led to cancer and birth defects and many, many, many more things. And they were forced to take it out of production after that 
became known. But here's the deal. The replacements are not much better. So one of the big risks that we're going to talk about today is these nonstick cooking materials, nonstick utensils, nonstick pots and pans, but also nonstick technology in areas where you wouldn't think about it, like the inside of the bag of microwave popcorn, like the inside of your pizza box, because they use a lot of these same materials. When we talk about um, this Teflon, what we're talking about is a chemical class called PFOA, perfluorooctanic acid, but we'll just call it PFOA for short. And it's also known as C8. It is not a naturally occurring thing. It is man-made. And what happens is when it's heated, it releases chemicals that are not only ingested when we eat the food because they're on the food surface, but they also go up into the air and we breathe them in and ingest them that way. A lot of times if you get a Teflon pan, if you read the packaging, it'll say don't use on high temperatures, but it's like, I'm putting this over an open flame. You know what I mean? Or you'll get like nonstick grill utensils. And if you read the fine print, it'll say, don't use over high heat. And it's like, it's made for a grill. <laughs> I'm not steaming things on my grill, you know? Um, so PFOA is not only an obesogen, but it's also a carcinogen. And it impacts us in a number of ways. And the reason we're still talking about it is because PFOAs are the new class ever since the original chemical that was as this Teflon ingredient was banned. There's a whole class of PFOAs that are showing up everywhere. Like I said, the inside of the microwave popcorn or your um, hot pockets. You know how you slide them into the sleeve and the inside is, is lined so that it doesn't stick? Uh, that has these PFOAs as well, and a lot of cookware. So we're going to be talking about alternatives today, uh, but I just want you to know that this is a risk, that this is a hazard. Does not mean that you need to throw away all of your pots and pans. Some of you might choose to, and I've certainly been there, but just keep in mind as we go through this that there are many, many ways, many, many avenues that we can take to improve our health. And this is just one of many. So if you're listening going, sounds great, but affording new cookware is not like high on the list right now. I've got it. I understand there are still things you can do. And maybe it's that if you're going to have popcorn, you're going to make it instead of, you're going to use an air popper instead of making microwave popcorn. Maybe you're going to make pizza at home on a, you know, just a stone uh, baking sheet instead of getting it takeout and exposing yourself to those nonstick chemicals there. There's always things you can do, so let's all agree not to focus on what we can't do. There is another... Well, before we go there, I want to talk about toxins in general because I would imagine that a lot of you are thinking, wait a second... 
if we know that, you know, the original Teflon ingredient can't be used, then why are they allowing them to substitute with ingredients with chemicals that are no more safe? Great question. And I don't have a great answer for you. I have an answer. It's just a little bit sad. Back in 1976, in the United States, so if you're listening in another country, you'd have to look up the regulations in your country, but in the U.S. in 1976, um, our government passed what is known as a Toxic Substances Control Act. And what happened when they passed that is they grandfathered in more than 62,000 chemicals that were already in use. Isn't that crazy? They basically said, well, if you've been doing it, you can keep doing it. Instead of saying, hey, nope, if this is something that people are going to wear or people are going to ingest or people are going to put in contact with something that they ingest, we're doing a full evaluation. That's not what they did. And in large part because of money and politics and all of that, which is not a good reason, but it's the reason, they grandfathered in 62,000 chemicals that were already in use. And then there were about... Of all the chemicals that that we get exposed to right now through like consumer products, 85% of them are new chemical applications. And they were, were submitted with zero data on their safety because it's not required. It's not required to prove that it's safe. You can apply to use a new chemical in the United States, in a food product, in a food package, in cookware, and you do not have to provide evidence to our government that it is safe. It's not required. The EPA has the burden of proving that something is unsafe. So let's get clear on that. Let's say that tomorrow I submit an application for this new chemical that I want to use that's going to make things cook more evenly. I don't know. I can submit that application and I do not have to prove that it is safe. But if for some reason the EPA thinks it might be unsafe, they have to prove that in order for me to have to take my product off the market. So let's think about that for a second. First, the EPA has to be paying attention to this new thing and do its due diligence to generate concern, right? They'd have to dig into it enough to say we're concerned and then their concern isn't enough. They have to prove that it is unsafe. So what does that mean? They have to follow people using it and or do studies on humans most likely, though not exclusively, I don't want to mislead, and prove that it is causing harm. That is such a low bar for our health and such a low bar for our government, but that is the bar. And here's the other thing. So the EPA has the burden of proving that any of these chemicals are unsafe, which takes resources and takes money and takes time, and they cannot go to the company that makes the product in question for data unless the EPA can already prove that it causes harm. So in the example for me, I, you know, I submit this application, I want to use this chemical that's going to help things cook more evenly, and the EPA says, oh, we've got some flags about this one. They have to have the time, the money, and the resources, and it's usually the time and the resources that are really in short supply, to prove that it causes harm, and they cannot come to me, the, the 
ingredient manufacturer and ask for any data or any information until they have proven on their own without my assistance that it is harmful. It's kind of tough to do that when you don't have the data you need to begin with. And we're gambling with our, with our health. We're gambling with our kids' health along the way. So it's a really messed up system. It really is. And I don't say that to discourage people, but I do think we need to know these things so that we can be informed consumers to the best of our ability. One of the big ones that gets a lot of talk is BPA. We know that BPA, which stands for bisphenol A, we know that this is an obesogen. We know it is an endocrine disruptor. And yet, even though we've proven it causes harm and the EPA has said that, it is still permitted to be used. And that's why when you go to buy a water bottle or you go to buy a jar or a baby bottle or anything like that, some of them are labeled BPA-free, but not all of them. Because even though we know that this is toxic and it causes harm, it's still allowed to be used, which is crazy. The interesting thing about BPA is that it was first created as a synthetic estrogen, a fake estrogen. It was originally created back in the 1930s as an estrogen mimic. And then later, only later, did chemists and scientists realize that BPA could also be combined to make a a plastic coating. And that's when, it wasn't until 20 years later, that we started using BPA in in a lot of plastic products, liners, uh, baby bottles, water bottles, eyeglass lenses, medical equipment, toys, you name it, all sorts of stuff. Right now, where we see BPA most is in liners for food and beverage cans, adhesives, um, Also, BPA is used to make dental sealants and flame retardants. I don't feel good about drinking out of something that is lined with something that's also used as a flame retardant. I don't know about you. The real risk with BPA is that it leaches into whatever it's holding. So if it's used on the lining of a canned tomato product, then the BPA can leach into the tomatoes. Or if it is lined inside a baby bottle or a water bottle, it can be leached into the contents of that bottle. And this gets worse when they're heated. And it gets worse when it's acidic. So that tomato example, the leaching would be worse than if it was inside a can of corn, because corn is not as acidic as, as tomatoes. So the BPA leaching is way worse. This is why if you've ever left a water bottle in a hot car, don't drink it. But it, it's worse under heated conditions. It's worse under acidic conditions. We need to be really mindful of this. BPA is produced in excess of 6 billion pounds per year. And we have over 75 human studies showing that it causes harm. Estrogen dominance, right? So this is a compounding factor in conditions like PCOS, in infertility, in weight loss, in diabetes, type 2 especially, insulin resistance, glucose intolerance. We know this. 
We absolutely know this, and yet it is still allowed to be used in the United States, right? There are other com- countries that it's that it's banned. Like in Europe, um, they have banned the manufacture of baby bottles with BPA. Thank God. In France, um, they have banned BPA in food containers, which is fantastic. But in the United States. We haven't seen that. The Canadian government back in 2010 declared BPA to be toxic, um, but it's still used. So we've got to be mindful of this. I do want to say that there are some things from a food standpoint that we can do to increase our body's ability to remove toxins, like eat cruciferous vegetables. Vegetables like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, cabbage, especially if we buy them organic, especially if we eat them raw. They are known estrogen-like detoxifiers. And so BPA, talking about that one specifically because it was originally an estrogen mimic, can be detoxified more readily, though not completely, when we increase our consumption of cruciferous vegetables. Another one to be really mindful of is aluminum foil. Because we know the aluminum can leach from the material into food. And this is, like BPA, worse when heated and in acidic conditions. So citrus fruits, tomatoes, that sort of stuff. And aluminum is a known neurotoxin. So here we see that it's not just about weight, but getting that exposure to aluminum because you're using things like aluminum foil can put you at higher risk of degenerative diseases, kidney diseases, um, and also osteoporosis. So what's the takeaway here? Just know. Know what you are cooking with, know what you are eating with, and if you are in the market for buying stuff. I'm not saying you need to go through your kitchen and throw everything away, but you know, you, you break a handle off a pan and you have to buy a new one. Be looking for things that say PFOA free, all right? If you're buying a water bottle or you are buying canned goods, be looking for ones that say they are BPA free. As for cookware, so I will tell you and I will also link up in the show notes. So make sure you go to primalpotential.com forward slash 633. That's the show notes page for today's episode. I'll link to the stuff that I'm buying as I renovate my kitchen and I clear things out and um, get rid of a lot of the stuff that I don't want to have in the house for myself or for anybody in my family. I decided to go with enamel. Enamel is Definitely one of the more expensive options, and we'll talk about some less expensive options for cookware and bakeware, Um, but it's the closest to nonstick, so it's easy to clean, and it's non-reactive, all right? So I will link to the cookware that I bought in the show notes for today's episode, but stainless steel is another great option. It tends to be harder to clean and more likely to have sticking than enamel, but it is definitely a good option. Cast iron is also another great option and tends to be a little bit less money than enamel. Um, It's a little bit higher maintenance, and it's not a good option for folks who know they're high in iron. If you have an iron overloads thing going on in your body, then cooking with cast iron is probably not a great option for you, but it can be a great option for everybody else. For baking, for reheating, for storing, glass is a great option. And compared to something like enamel uh, or cast iron, super, super affordable, relatively speaking. 
A lot of people have started to use glass jars for storing or for drinking, but I want to make you aware that ball jars that are one of the most common brands, B-A-L-L, their lids do have BPA, but there is another option, WECK, W-E-C-K, and I will link to that in the show notes as well. Instead of aluminum foil, a couple of options. And same thing like instead of plastic wrap because those plastics and the chemicals in the plastics do leach. Um, Unbleached parchment paper is a good option or there's a beeswax coated reusable food wrap. And I will link to what I am getting there uh, in the show notes as well. But ultimately at the end of the day, guys, there's so much we can do and maybe this is not your immediate priority. But as you buy new dishware or you have a birthday coming up or a holiday or maybe, you know, somebody's getting you a gift for something or you're going to upgrade anyway, consider this stuff because I do think it makes a difference. And uh, I'll put some resources in the show notes as well as links to what I've purchased for those of you who maybe feel like this is a more immediate priority for you and your health. I hope you guys have a great day. I'll chat with you soon. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.